1: California, and Texas, and New York, and we're going to South Dakota, and Oregon, and Washington, and Michigan, and then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. For the second floor of the A.C. building, this is Election Shock Therapy. Guys, it's an emergency podcast. Woo-hoo! We've assembled the Avengers. Sam is here. Do
2: you give yeah. a, a meeting? I don't. Awesome. This is the meeting I have. Actually, <laughs> I actually at my last meeting. Schedule. I said I have to leave early because I have a meeting, and this is the Whoa. meeting. All right. Yeah.
1: Uh, it's finals week here, but it's also study day. Mm-hmm. So we're in the middle of, of, of crazy season.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: it it's sort of casual Wednesday
2: is what study day is. Chris is wearing study day shoes that you wouldn't normally wear.
1: Yeah, these I'm shoes. wearing study day they shoes, They don't too. contribute to studying. They're just comfortable. No.
0: They are comfortable.
1: Uh, guys, do you want to give away one que- one question on your exam to anybody who's listening?
0: I've already given my exam. so, so Okay, so a what,
1: what, was, what was the question on your exam?
0: Um, hmm. I have I have I I don't don't actually memorize my exam questions. Sorry,
2: (laughs) I have one that's even politically relevant. Please, which is we ask students to compare Martin Luther and John Locke and their views of government.
3: Ooh, Ooh, nice. That's
2: very nice.
3: Yeah. One of the questions I asked my students um, in the intro class was basically to think about what are the ideals of the founding that we learned. So thinking about, like, republicanism and trying to guard against arbitrary power and, you know, once again thinking about Locke, so government's there to protect rights, things like that. And I asked them basically, this was their comprehensive essay question, was to um, write about ways that uh, one of those ideals is or isn't still being realized in today's government. Mm -hmm. So one of the... Well, in a relevant
0: moment for the maybe the, one of the things we're going to talk about in this podcast, um, on my humanities exam, their short essay question was to think about um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s critique of white moderates in the letter to Birmingham jail, mm-hmm. and kind of think about how he's using some of the great thinkers that we'd read in humanities um, to make that critique. So um, that's relevant, given that you know the African-American turnout in Alabama was part of the story, and a key part of the story, I think, yeah. that we be talking about well,
1: today. We're going to get to that. Um, I'll just say for my part, if any of my students are listening to this, on Friday I'm giving my Introduction to International Relations exam, and one of the books we read at the in- close of this semester was about uh, migration. It was Paul Collier's book Exodus, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm going to ask them an essay question asking them to um, talk about what Collier's mechanism f- where he predicts that migration is going to explode in the next next mm-hmm. couple of decades, mm-hmm. and why he thinks that's the case and what it has to do with diasporatic politics. Mm-hmm. Um, diasporatic politics. Yeah, he's I mean, diasporating politics. All right, so we're here, uh, we're, as, as we've said on numerous occasions, we're political scientists, we're not pundits. Uh, our goal in this podcast is to give you some political science research and scholarship and background, and not particularly partisanship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes uh, news the day overwhelms us, and that's one of the situations that's happened today. So we have two topics today, and the first and most nationally um, um, thought-provoking one is the victory of Jones over Moore, which sounds like a boxing match. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in-
2: I, I always get the names mixed up, and I say Roy Jones, and I realize Roy Jones was a boxer. Roy Jones <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we will also be a formidable Senate, Senate candidate. That's right.
1: That's um, right. Uh, Doug Jones over Roy Moore in the Alabama special Senate election. Uh, guys, are you surprised?
0: Yes, um, I think we you know. We talked earlier this week, and um, Chris and Mitchell and I. We I think we all three felt like you know it was going to be pretty close, but we all thought Roy Moore would probably pull it out just because of the um, despite <laughs> Roy all would the probably controversies. He would probably win. Right. He'd probably win. Um, because you know Alabama is so Republican, it's um, you know, it it just felt like that was the way it was trending. So yeah, it was a little bit of a surprise that he that Jones actually won by one and a half percentage points, got to almost fifty percent of the vote. About one point seven percent of people appear to have written in a candidate, um, and that's basically the difference between the two.
1: Okay, I have a couple questions here. Uh, First, some procedural logistic questions. Uh, Alabama has an automatic recount procedure if the vote difference, difference is less than a half a percent. The vote difference right now is not less than half a percent. It's one and a half percent. So three times mm-hmm. what's needed in order to call for an automatic recount. Uh Moore has not conceded. No. Uh and he's talking about pushing for a recount. Can yep. he get one? It
2: seems on brand for him to do that. <laughs> yeah, it is. So yeah. yeah. Go, yeah. What,
1: what do you mean by that? I mean I
2: like it. That's not so that's I mean, of of all the things um With uh, allegations, things like that. I mean, he also didn't admit to anything and sort of – and so, and with the idea that, well, if you don't admit to something, then – so if you don't admit to losing, Mm -hmm. you haven't lost. So it's sort of on brand to to, not concede in that way.
0: It seems like he – I mean, I I only read about this briefly, and I'm not an Alabama, obviously, but um, it sounds like he could choose to pay for it if he wanted to. Mm -hmm. Um, This seems like a really losing strategy. That's a lot of votes to find. I mean, he's about Mm -hmm. 20,000 votes behind – um, and so there, there's a reason that you don't usually trigger a recount unless it's really close because even if you find some votes were counted wrong, um, you're not likely to find 20,000 votes that were counted wrong.
2: Is that a, is that a, an Alabama thing that you could, you can you can spark it by saying you're willing to pay for it?
0: Well, we can do it in this state. I mean, and I don't know, again, all state laws, but like, I know that up in the Iron Range, um, in the last election, um, Stuart Mill thought about it. In fact, he initially said he was going to pay for a recount, because it wasn't quite close enough to trigger it. Um, and then he backed off that. I mean, it was going to cost him like $100,000 to do this, and he's rich, so he could have afforded to do and that. Roy but, not rich. But he chose not to do that. Roy Moore's not rich, so I mean, he'd have to use campaign funds, which maybe he has on hand, I don't know. But yeah, it just seems like a foolish call. And frankly, the Republican Party has already said this is done. I mean, Trump, you know, has tweeted his congratulations to Doug Jones and so forth. So it's over. It's just more
2: it hasn't admitted it
1: yet. Well, that leads me to another facet of the story. Did you think Donald Trump actually tweeted his congratulations to Doug Jones? <laughs>
2: I had the same thought. <laughs> yeah. Donald Trump's yeah. Twitter tweeted that one that, <laughs> one. that one read like it was a. a uh, prepared statement more mm-hmm, than, mm-hmm. yeah, so I,
3: I I don't know. John Kelly
0: the, finally figured out the password.
3: <laughs> <laughs> One of my uh, uh, former colleagues at IU, when I was a graduate student, who runs a fairly popular um, uh, humor humor blog and uh, other social media things called Gin and Tacos, so if you want some humorous I things, you can, l- you can look up Gin and Tacos, it's uh, Ed Brumilla, my former... Um, IU colleague. Anyway, he, uh, he one of, one of his his reaction to the Trump treat, to Trump tweet, <laughs> was Which was a treat. Was It was a treat. Was a treat. Was that basically this is this this looks like uh, the, the F student in your class suddenly turning in an A paper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. this is not the words, the number, and the
1: punctuation <laughs> the president usually uses in his tweets. And and, and if if history
2: tells us anything, by Thursday, we'll get a tweet that goes against that tweet.
1: (laughs) Right. Right? I mean, Mm -hmm. like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we had, a, we had a methodology during the campaign, which is that some of, some of Trump's tweets during the campaign would show up on an Android phone and some would show up on, a, on an iPhone. Yeah. And I can't remember which one was which now, but apparently – but the, the, the conventional wisdom was that Trump himself, using his own thumbs, was tweeting from the iPhone, I think. it was the, yeah, it was the other way around. Oh, I yeah, no, I think that's right. It's the anyway. Okay. Oh, okay. And, and his campaign or campaign staff yeah. or workers were tweeting from the other phone, right. whichever one that was. Right. Uh, that's, all of his tweets nowadays come from an iPhone. So it's not real clear exactly which uh, um, which ones are authored by him and which ones aren't. But it's, it would be interesting to know, as a fly on the wall, yeah. who has access to the president's Twitter account? What does it mean to have access?
2: Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: right. How much access do you have? All right. But... So coming back to Alabama, I think one of the, one of the takeaways, as I alluded to in talking about the essay question, is that it sounds like African American voter turnout was really high, um, which is impressive in Alabama, um, especially given that the Democratic Party, obviously, as an institution is kind of weak there. And so it sounds like they did a, you know, they were really able to connect with, um, local community leaders to, to get the turnout up. Um, they brought in some, you know, su- superstar African-American politicians from elsewhere, like Cory Booker, um, to help inspire them, and Charles Barack Barkley. Barack Obama recorded
1: robocalls. Barack
0: Obama recorded calls. Um, and Doug Jones had a lot, even though he's obviously a white candidate, um, had a lot of legitimacy with that community because he had been involved in prosecuting um, KKK guys who had committed abuses against the community. So, you know, he really did have a lot of um you know they they really they viewed him well and they turned out in large numbers for him and I think that when you look at the numbers that's one of the big differences here um, is that that you know that came out and then of course obviously turnout in special elections is always lower anyway it's it was higher than expected I think but still way lower than you would expect in a normal midterm and way lower than you'd expect. In a presidential election, which is what Doug Jones will be facing when he runs for re-election
1: in 2020 if he does. So I want to contextualize a couple of numbers here, um, 97% of African-American voters, according yes. to exit polls, uh, voted for Doug Jones. Mm, um, right. And that number, not, not not only was the proportion of the African-American vote high for Doug Jones, right. incredibly high, ex- 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 as high as, as voted for Barack Obama in 2008. right. right. Yeah. But also the expected number of African American voters was up over expectations. Andy's right. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. overall number of voters was down. Right. And because this is a special election, the overall number of African African American voters was also down, but up relative to expectations. Mm-hmm. Down relative to expectations were rural rural white Alabamian voters. Mm-hmm. Alabamian, Alabaman, mm-hmm. Alabamian. Actually, I think Alabamian? is right. Yeah. Okay. Um,
0: Sam's the only one of us who's ever actually lived in Alabama. That's Seriously true. To go with his, but I'm not sure. Nat- your so. native lands. That's right.
1: <laughs> so, as a consequence, we had a more African American vote than was expected. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. certainly helped, especially mm-hmm. when Doug Jones was capturing 97% of it. But mm-hmm. this also illustrates how starkly divided this race was, the, this this contest was based on race. Right. Doug Jones only got 30% of white mm-hmm. Alabamian voters. Yep. And those that 30% skewed towards the more suburban, mm-hmm. uh, more educated uh, voters from places like Birmingham. Um, and uh, he got a tiny proportion of rural Alabama voters.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> one of the things to note, too, and this is one of the interesting things as well, is the way this broke um, by gender as well. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And this, I think, accents actually the role that actually races is, is the key Pivot here. So one of the so obviously the main story going into this race was uh, the accusations, the I should say fairly credible accusations against Roy Moore um, that he engaged that he uh, uh, engaged in uh, sexual harassment or assault uh, against young against young girls. Um, but essentially, even with that, um, looking at uh, some of the exit poll data, only only 40%. Uh, of white college-educated women in Alabama, uh, voted for Jones. So right. even even amongst uh, you know the demographic that you would probably expect to be uh, you know among among white voters that you'd right. expect to be right. most sympathetic to Jones, even there uh, Roy Moore had had a major had a majority. Had a majority.
0: Right. And I'm guessing that's higher. I mean, that's, and that's still I agree that's low. I'm guessing that's higher than what voted for Barack Obama, right, among that right. demographic. Um, although I don't have those numbers in front of me. Um, yeah, so it's it is interesting, I mean, like how close this was. Even Jones obviously won, and it's a surprise, but it's still, like you said, pretty close. And it does seem to be about one party turned out better, um, right? And 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 that you know that makes sense with the enthusiasm gap that maybe rural Alabama Alabamians, Alabamians um, were not um, enthused about Roy Moore. They had these you know concerns, but they couldn't bring themselves to vote for Doug Jones. So some of them just didn't bother and had better things to do yesterday, um, which is the kind of thing we see when you're not enthused about your party.
1: Cool. So it's it's pretty clear to me why voters one one incredible narrative for why voters aren't enthused about um, Roy Moore. Uh, yeah. These these no one finds these scandals appealing. No, uh, even people who supported Roy Moore often said that they did so because they didn't believe these allegations, or right. or so, or because they were willing to live with the allegations because voting for a Democrat was worse.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: No one's saying I applaud the. Uh, Potential victimization of, right. of of young women. That said, um, I want to talk a little bit about enthusiasm here, because where does enthusiasm come from? Does enthusiasm and a the lack thereof come from the senatorial candidate? Or does this reflect back on the Republican Party as an institution? Or does this reflect on to um,
3: uh, even to Donald Trump? Uh, the answer to that is it's probably hard to say to some degree. Um, uh, as far as as far as who as far as what what drives. Enthusiasm—it often has, in some in some ways, enthusiasm has to do uh, often with voting against someone. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. in many ways, perhaps the driver here is this is a harbinger of 2018. This is sort of a pre midterm election. And as is usually the case with midterm elections, people tend to vote against the party that currently holds uh, power, particularly the White House. So sure. mm-hmm. um, there have only been a couple of exceptions over the last few decades. Um, but basically, whichever president is in office, they start they they lose seats during the midterm yep. um, in Congress. And so. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. in many ways, uh, you know, uh, while while we were all saying we expected Roy Moore um, to win just because of Alabama being very ruby red, um, in in other ways, if you just li- if you think in terms of political science trends um, that have been noted o- um, in, in in the literature, this is really not incredibly surprising in that sense. Um, just that the just right. so the party in power would actually lose seats. Um, people who have somebody in the White House tend to sort of feel like. Uh, I think there are a couple of things that are going on. I mean, first of all, there's, uh, you know, once somebody is in power, the idea of somebody being in power is always a lot um, more appealing than, than the reality, no matter who they are. Right. Um, once somebody takes power, then you suddenly realize that they're limited and that they can't do everything that they promised and mm-hmm. all of those sorts of things. Um, and so you sort of lose enthusiasm that way. Um, and then there's also just sort of, you know, you, you feel like, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to get people to vote here in America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, people mm-hmm. don't want to vote. And there are Especially a lot of... December yeah, election. I know it's, it's mm-hmm. just, you know because you got to take time out of your day and you don't really get anything for it and mm-hmm. you know there's there's a lot um, a lot of things that that press against Americans voting and so in order to actually get people to turn out they have to feel like there's something in it for them and I think a lot of Alabamians probably looked at this and said. Um, you know, we've got even even if you're really conservative and you really like um, things that Roy Moore says he wants to do, you can say, well, you know, Trump's in office. What's one Senate seat really going to really going to do? Right. Um, so why is it worth my time to, you know, mm-hmm. take a couple hours off of work and lose that money to, to go and vote in this thing? It doesn't matter anyway.
0: And especially when you're concerned that he might be an embarrassment to the state. right. Exactly. Too. And there's that. I mean, like you're less you're less confident about it than if you were going out to vote for. Richard Shelby, you know, Alabama's senior senator, right? And Richard,
1: possibly yeah. you're less scared of Doug Jones. Because if you're if Richard's yeah, right so you vote against someone, yeah. uh, Jones yeah. is he's a Democrat Um, but for many Alabamians, given some of the ways he portrayed himself, he really undersold the democratic nature of him, of his, of his candidacy and, uh, really tried to show himself as a true native son of Alabama and that he seemed less, less objectionable. Right.
0: And you get in three years, I mean, in three years you get a chance to do this again. If you, if Jones shows himself to be truly an independent Democrat who's representing Alabama, well, then you want to keep him fine. If not it's not going to be too hard to replace them in 2020 with a a conservative candidate who presumably won't have the degree of baggage that Roy Moore carried.
1: Yeah, Jones immediately becomes one of the most vulnerable Democrats in the Senate.
0: This becomes the top seat that the Republicans will be targeting in 2020
1: right now. Um, Is Roy Moore's political career done?
0: I think so. (laughs) I I hope so (laughs) He's 70 I mean and this was a big I mean you gotta You gotta win A Senate seat in Alabama Like again The Democrats hadn't won Since 1992 uh, With a guy named Richard Shelby Won re-election He was a Democrat at the time Became Mm -hmm. a Republican later. And you know So you you can't lose This election Um, You need to be done On the other hand Martha Coakley Got to run again And lose again In uh, um, Massachusetts After blowing that seat In 2010 With Scott Brown So who knows
3: yeah, I could I could see I could see him running again, maybe for, for maybe for some uh, statewide office. Uh, I can't see him. I, I can't see the party um, nominating him again for for a major mm-hmm. national election.
1: Mm-hmm. Last thing I'll say here is that I'm I want to be careful of making inferences from small numbers, mm-hmm. but Donald Trump. Uh, has backed three candidates in recent months and all three of them have lost mm-hmm. two of them in this Alabama Senate race as it turns mm-hmm. out. Um, he backed mm-hmm. Luther Strange against Roy Moore, Strange lost. He backed Roy Moore against Doug Jones, he lost. Um, and he also backed Ed Gillespie and who, who lost in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it seems to be that Donald Trump is still really effective at maintaining this floor of his base mm-hmm. uh, who are pretty impervious to negative news about the president. Mm-hmm. Uh, some 38, maybe 35% of the American mm-hmm. voter electorate will vote for Donald Trump um, under almost any circumstances. But he's not shown himself to be particularly capable at turning those people out to vote for other people besides himself. And I think that's something we should keep in mind as we move through 2018, but even mm-hmm. into 2020, uh, presuming Donald Trump runs for re-election. I think this is the dynamic we should be paying attention to. Um, Don't forget, closer to home, we have, uh, apparently, um, a new senator here in Minnesota. Uh, Andy, you want to fill us in on what's been happening up here in the the Great White North?
0: Yeah, so, of course, um, Senator Al Franken announced his pending resignation, he hasn't actually resigned yet, uh, last Thursday as a result of all the allegations against him, uh, also of sexual abuse and harassment and so forth, and um, so he's resigning sometime in the next two weeks, presumably, and so Governor Dayton gets to appoint his replacement, he announced that Dayton this morning, is Democrat. We um, Dayton it. is a Democrat, as is Al Franken, and so Dayton announced this morning that he will um, plan to appoint his Lieutenant Governor, Tina Smith. Uh, which is interesting in a couple of ways. Um, one is that Tina Smith's never won um, office on her own. She did win, of course, as lieutenant governor with Dayton as his running mate. Um, those offices are paired in Minnesota, as in most places. Um, and she's been a really good governing partner for him. And Dayton is old. He's in bad health. Um, and so this is going to be interesting for our own state governance here in his last year in office. Um, to lose her her assistance, quite frankly, in St. Paul. Um, It also is interesting because our state Senate is very evenly split. The Republicans have a one-seat majority, um, and technically the Senate president should be in line to become the lieutenant governor, which means we'd have a Republican lieutenant governor. Um, There's some talk about trying to work around that, so that's interesting. It's also interesting because Smith, um, she hasn't won on her own, and so, you know, to do to appoint her, Dayton passed over a couple of people who had, um, namely Attorney General Lori Swanson, who's won three times um, statewide for that office, and Rebecca Otto, who's won the state auditor position three times statewide, um, both of whom would have had a sort of more automatic connection with the statewide electorate. Um, than Smith but he's very loyal to Smith he really feels like she's done a good job for his administration and that seems to be what's driving this
1: and Smith will serve until a special election can be held next fall right so we'll have both
0: of our Senate seats on the ballot next fall because Amy Klobuchar's seat is up for her normal election and then Smith will be up for the remaining two years of Franken's term um, in the fall
1: so we're going to have a state Senate election three times in the next uh, in the next uh, <laughs> two two and a half years right in Maybe, yeah, we have yep so, yep. or, or at least three, three new senators. So we'll have uh, Tina Smith now. We'll have an election in the fall. We'll have an yep. election two years after that. Yep. Um, with potential for for turnover in each at each point. Right. This brings me to the last thing I want to talk about, guys, before we head out of here. Um, one thing to keep in mind, uh, a lot of the left-leaning sources of American news are talking about a groundswell event of, an, of antipathy towards the Trump administration, perhaps mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Democrats taking back both houses of Congress, and uh, I'll be the bucket of cold water. <laughs> Hold on yep. on that. Um, to take the Senate, for example, there are 34 seats up for senatorial re-election mm-hmm. in uh, um in, in 2018, the fall of 2018, of those 34 seats, 25 of them are currently held by Democrats. I think it's be, actually
0: 26 even. 20, with, with Franken now, oh, with Franken, Frank yeah, seat up, yeah, yeah
1: be 26. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that be would that be 35 then seats up? Yeah, it's I can't if it's 26
0: and eight or 26 and nine. But yeah, so it's 26 and then
1: six and then nine seats are held yeah. by Republicans. The, Repu- the um Democrats would need to win three seats and lose none in order to uh, take back the Senate.
0: Well, just two now, though, because two now. oh, two
1: yeah. now, yeah, yeah, two now. So, yeah. so they've gotten one of their three, but they can't lose any, and they have twenty-five yeah. up. This is a map stacked against the Democrats. Um,
0: it's the worst one I think in since right. World War II or something. So there's <laughs> it's two a very principles
1: map. here we should both pay attention to. On the one hand, Mitch is right: the party not in power, that would be the Democrats, tend to tend to Gain seats in off-year elections. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, this map is built for public for Democrats to have a very hard time, and that's and that's not any particular uh, point of engineering. It's just that's mm-hmm. the way the numbers worked out yeah. this time. And so, uh, it's it's still a long shot, I think, for Democrats to retake the Senate. Very long. I think it's even longer, perhaps, for them to retake the House. Yeah, where they're, where they're, uh, their their mar- uh, margin is much wider
0: you think it's longer for them to take the house or the you think it's
1: I, I well that's, that's my initial supposition do you what do you, what do you think hmm. I think
0: the house is easier to take just because okay. um, because all 435 seats are up right I mean you're you're competing everywhere and so if, if the generic the dinner generic, generic ballot right now is putting the Democrats ahead by like nine or ten points which will probably tighten some between now and next year but but if that, there were that kind of Gap. I think they have a decent chance of taking the house, even with the gerrymandered seats. Mm-hmm. Um, I could imagine a number of them swinging. I mean, I still think I still think the Republicans are probably more likely to hold it, but yeah. but I think that they have a better chance. I just think the Senate is such a hard lift, even with the the victory in the Jones seat. Um, you got to pick up two, and that assumes the Republicans don't flip any seats. And there right. are a number of seats the Republicans are targeting that are, re- I mean, you know, like trying to win re-election with Heitkamp Camp in North Dakota or Mansion in West Virginia. Those are tough seats. I mean, those are really, really red states now, and those are senators who've done a good job for their states. They're relatively conservative Democrats, but they there are Democrats in, in Republican states. states. I mean, that's a that's a hard one. So, I don't know. I just I think the Senate's gonna be really hard. But yeah. I, right now, if I had to guess, I'd say Republicans probably hold on to a reduced majority in the House and keep the Senate roughly where it is. But that's a really early, way too early guess. So.
1: And we will have as uh, we're we're not ending this podcast anytime soon. Although this episode needs to end now, uh, <laughs> we will have some when elec- we look at the Senate elections in 2018 coming up over the course of the next over spring and, and even into the fall. We'll talk about some of these seats that are toss ups and these seats mm-hmm. that are not safe seats. But as of right now, um, if you're a Republican and you're uh, you're regretting Democrats taking a, a Senate seat in Alabama, um, this was an artifact of an incredibly unpopular and controversial candidate, um, and. Uh, combined with uh tides running against uh, the party in power if you're a Democrat don't get too high on on this victory uh mm-hmm. there's a long way to go to retaking uh, the US Senate
0: yeah and it's and don't I think people want to read a lot and oh what does this tell us about the national trends almost nothing um, maybe a little bit of something about the the enthusiasm of like the african-american base turning out that might be somewhat of an indicator but Beyond that, I would look at, I mean, this is just feel like a, to quote Tip O'Neill, and all politics is local, and you need to still nominate decent candidates. Party loyalty gets you so far, but not, you know, does not everything. Um, and so, you know, Roy Moore lost in large part because Roy Moore was a truly terrible candidate um, in so many ways, and a lot of Alabamians just couldn't stomach it in the end.
1: So uh, two things that we should revisit, but not today. One, we should talk about... Um, is the Democratic strategy need to be uh, turning out uh, its base or courting white rural voters? That's been a conversation since the 2016 election. And also, um, we should probably talk about how Roy Moore um, became a candidate and if there's a disjunction between the party base and the Republican Party and uh, versus its, its general election voting base. Yeah.
3: That mm-hmm. was actually, and again, I think we should, that's, this is something we don't have time for right now but um, <clears throat> you know one of the things one of the things to see is we saw this sort of work out with Donald Trump I mean Donald Trump was somebody the party didn't want um, right. arguably was a very weak candidate right. um, but nonetheless managed to win and barely managed to squeak by uh, right. a victory in the national election due to the electoral college Um but yeah, and then we're seeing we're seeing this uh, attempted again here with Roy Moore, um, mm-hmm. and it doesn't doesn't work out. So one of the things to think about is um, the Republican Party has a slightly slightly more power in some ways for the party leadership to play a role, mm-hmm. um, and so just think about whether they try to strengthen that at all mm-hmm. um, in terms of how they engineer the primaries. Yeah,
0: and how they sell that to the base.
3: Yeah. Well, um, we'll continue to follow the stories and
1: many, many more, and maybe next time these guys let me talk about international politics. But for now, this is Chris Moore uh, (laughs) on behalf of my colleagues here at Bethel University saying thanks for listening. This is Election Shock Therapy. You can always reach out to us at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. Go Royals!